Upward family. You guys are looking great today. There's a bunch of you this morning. Wow, good to see you guys. Glad to have everybody here. We're excited. Today, it's the Sunday before the big day of Easter coming up. And as I look around the sanctuary, I'm thinking, where are we going to put everybody when all of them come next week? And that's a wonderful, wonderful problem to have. Is that right? Wonderful problem to have. Thank you for being here this morning. Excited about what God's doing. Excited next week to celebrate one of the greatest dates on our calendar. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They thought he was dead and he came back. The enemy thought he'd won and it was his ultimate defeat. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, we have hope through the darkest of problems in our lives. Can I get an amen this morning? We have hope because Jesus is alive. So good to see you. We're excited about all the folks who are coming next week because you're out there inviting them, right? You're bringing people with us. We have four services over next weekend. We have one on Thursday night, and then we have three on Sunday morning and our Hispanic church on Sunday afternoon. So we want you to come to one of those services. Now, I'm going to give you a pro tip right here. I'm going to give you an Easter hack right here. If you come on Thursday, you won't have to fight the crowd. If you come early on Easter, you won't have to fight the crowd. If you come late on Easter, you won't fight the crowd. If you come to this service, you're going to fight the crowd. Is that working for any of you? Really, if you want to help us out a little bit, we're going to be extra crowded. You may not believe it, but this Sunday, there are 90 more chairs in here than there were last week. And still, uh, it's hard to find a seat, especially at the back. Not saying anything bad about you folks back there, not trying to, but uh, uh, it's hard to find a seat in some spots. So next week, really seriously, you would help us out a lot. If you could come on a Thursday, it's a wonderful time. We have a great service. I'm trying to tell everybody I preach better on Thursday to get more people there. Same service, Thursday night, and then we have three on Sunday morning. If you could jump into that early one or that later one and not come to the one right in the middle, that's usually the very crowded one, and you'd help us by creating some space for our friends. We love inviting people to come with us, don't we? We love inviting people to come with us. Now today, we're going to share a special message. We did a series just over a year ago called Bless, and we talked about a strategy to reach our neighbors. We're not going to repeat the whole series, but as we were leading into Easter next week, we thought it would be good to remind us of the Bless strategy that we have to reach our neighbors for Jesus Christ. So today, we're going to talk about sharing our faith with other people. And, and sometimes, uh, we, we all want to be effective in sharing our story, right? We want to share our faith. Because the Christian faith from the very beginning has been a contagious faith. That's what we call one of our values at Upward Christian Fellowship is contagious faith. Because this is a faith that we don't want to keep to ourselves. It's like when you get something good and you want to tell somebody about it, right? When you go to a restaurant and you get a meal that's absolutely mind-blowing, you want to call somebody and say, hey, come and, and have this meal. When you experience something that's wonderful. You ever been on a roller coaster? And you get off that roller coaster and you're just walking down the the ramp after it's over and you're talking about the ride. Wasn't it cool when that happened? Wasn't it cool? That thing took us out of our seats. The older I get, that's not as cool as it used to be. But it used to be really cool. Lifted us off. Man, I got some air time. It was wonderful. Our faith is that kind of faith. Something has happened in our lives so wonderful 
that we're not just out to police the world. We're not out to tell everybody how to live. We're not out to be the religious sheriff all over town. We just have something that's so good and so wonderful and so life-giving to us that we want to share it with other people. And the Christian faith from its very beginning has been an incredibly contagious faith. I mean, the first day, what Bible scholars call the birthday of the church, is in the book of Acts in the New Testament, the book of Acts chapter 2, the birthday of the church on a day called the day of Pentecost. The church went in one day from 120 people to over 3,000 people in one day. That's incredible growth. That's almost unsustainable growth, you would think. But you know, in the next 300 years from the birth of the church, Christianity grew from 3,000 people to around 33 million people in 300 years. The, ours is not a faith to be lived in the dark and in private. Ours is a faith to be lived in public and to be shared. So we serve and live in a faith that is a contagious faith. But I want us to be honest this morning. How many of you? Can we just be honest, okay? Can we be honest? Yeah, yeah, three of you about to raise your hands, and I'm about to get on you. That's how it works. Same three every week. Um, how many, honestly, when we talk about sharing your faith, you get a little sick feeling in your stomach? I've got both hands raised. There's a little feeling down here, and this is what that little sick feeling says. I'm just not that kind of person. I'm, I'm not a loud person. I'm, I'm more of a quiet person. I'm kind of shy. The thought of walking up to somebody on the street and just start a conversation about Jesus seems kind of awkward. And it is. There are memes out there now on the internet. I saw one the other day. It's pretty funny. It's a little meme of a guy, and he's chasing all these little critters, and he walks into them, and they run everywhere. And he chases them, saying, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. And they're all running away. That's how that would feel to go out and share my faith. You might say, I feel a little sick about that because I was always taught as a, as a gentleman or as a lady, they're, they're just two subjects you don't bring up in polite conversation. Politics and religion. I'm beginning to wonder if we might not have been wrong about that. I've got a feeling we might ought to talk a little more. But I was taught, pastor, that if you were in polite conversation, you just didn't bring up the subject of religion. Man, we get in these situations and we hear the pastor up here challenging us to share our faith, but yet we feel like, hey, I don't know if that's something I want to be a part of. When I first came to Jesus and I felt called to go into ministry, I was in college and, and I moved to another state to go to Bible college now to study to be into the ministry to... Uh, get some good education, and so one of the first classes that I had to sign up for, it was required for every kid in the Bible college, was a class called personal evangelism, and what that meant was they were going to teach you how to personally share your faith with other people on the streets, and let me tell you folks, I put that class off as long as I possibly could. I'm like, nope, I'm not taking that one. I do not want to go out on the streets with a Bible and start talking to people about religion. I just didn't want to do it. I'm by nature kind of shy. And that class just scared me to death. 
But finally it came. I had to take that class. So we went in personal evangelism class and they began to teach us. First of all, they had us buy this little Bible. This is my Bible, the original one from personal evangelism class. We bought this little thin New Testament so we could hide it in our pockets. Whip it out like a lightsaber when necessary. (laughs) Yeah, boy, things change when you pull out the Bible. You know what I'm talking about? We went through this Bible, and I still have the tabs. We went through something called the Romans Road. And it's a system, and it's several verses in the book of Romans that you can actually walk people through to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I still have the tabs here. I still have the little illustrations written on the... Let me tell you, I was a complete rookie. I had to write it all down. Like, you want to come to know Jesus? Wait one second. Just a minute. Romans, what is this now? That's about how it was. So we studied for weeks and weeks. Then they said, okay, from this point on in in the course, you have to go out every weekend and talk to people about Jesus for a grade. And I'm like, if you don't go, you fail. And I'm like, oh, Lord, i got to tell people about Jesus now. Because I'm going to fail. So I decided one Saturday, it's time. There was a group going out. They were going on the campus of uh, Louisiana State University. And we were going to go all over that campus and share our faith. So I picked my roommate, who was the boldest guy I had ever met. And I thought, I'm just going to ride his coattails said, you want to go with me? He's like, yeah, let's go win people to Jesus. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> we get on the campus of LSU, and I'm, I'm trying to pick out easy targets, right? He's not. I mean, there's a little old lady on a park bench eating chocolates, and I want to go over and talk to her. I realize that sounded like Forrest Gump right there. <laughs> I'm wanting to witness to 10-year-old kids. All of a sudden, my friend took everything as a challenge. I looked up the road, and I saw one of the biggest people, tallest, biggest guys I'd ever seen in my life. And I immediately tried to distract my friend somewhere else because I knew he would go for that guy because I knew him. He saw that guy, and he's like, let's go get that guy. I'm like, Mike, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not talk to that guy. That guy can break me and you in half. He said, no, we're going to tell him about Jesus. So he goes up, and I go along behind him. I'm like, you got this one, bud. I'm just going to stand here. So he gets, this, he gets his Bible open. He's like, did you know without Jesus Christ, you're a sinner? I'm like, oh, boy, dial it back a little bit. I mean, he's got the pointer finger out. And he's not pointing down here. He's pointing up here. And he's telling this guy about Jesus. He walked him through the Romans road, led him through the whole thing, and the whole thing I'm there thinking, oh, Jesus, I'm going to die a martyr right here on <laughs> LSU campus. I'm going to die right here. He got him through the whole thing. And we were taught at the end, you always bring them to a decision. You don't just pray for them and walk away. You challenge them to receive Jesus right then. So I knew what he was coming to. So he tells the whole story. The guy's just staring at him. And he comes to the end and he said, do you want to pray right here and right now to give your life to Jesus Christ? And I'm like, oh God, here it comes. The guy said, yes. I'm like, oh my Lord. I'm the most shocked one of them all. 
Mike said, okay, join hands. I mean, he's taking charge. This guy grabbed my hand, and his hand just swallowed my hand. It's like a baby's hand in his hand. I'm like, ooh. We joined hands. I didn't even close my eyes. I wanted to see what was happening. I watched. I, I was like, the whole time, I really, I was like, oh, my God. Mike leads him in the sinner's prayer, and that guy bowed his head, and I saw big tears running down both cheeks, down his neck, on his shirt. He's bawling, and I'm still un- unbelievable. How did that happen? And he gets done, he prays the prayer, and he tells us this. And this just changed my life when he told us this. He said, he said, I can't believe I met you guys. He said, I have a grandmother who has been praying for me to make this decision for many, many years. And he said, I'm going to my dorm right now, and I'm going to call her and tell her that today I gave my life to Jesus. Amen. Never forget that. Hey, that was my first time out. And I told Mike when it was done, I said, man, this stuff really works. (laughs) I might ought to memorize some of this. It works. So I I had this Bible in my hand when that happened. I've had this Bible in my hand in the streets of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, over and over again in homes and out of homes and everywhere. Let me tell you, it doesn't work that way every time. I gave you a big buildup to say, That's not the way it always is. And I always wondered why that day, one time, it happens. The next Saturday, I was ready to go out and that happened ten times. Guess what? The very next Saturday, I had doors slammed in my face the whole day. I thought it's because Mike wasn't with me. But the truth is this. There is a tension there. Is it the best strategy in the world just to walk up to people on the street and say, you need to know Jesus? Once in a while, that will work. But many times, people need a process to get to that place. You understand that? All your neighbors, all your friends, all the people that you know that need to know Jesus, they may not be at the place that they're ready for you to bring them to a confrontation. Why is that so? Jesus told a story. It's called the parable of the sower. And I think it's pretty powerful. In Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 9, it says this. Jesus told this story to illustrate in part this challenge that we deal with. It says, one day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer went out, Jesus said, to plant his seed. And as he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on the footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. So the farmer's out scattering seed in his field, and Jesus said some seed that he threw out fell over here on a path, and people walked on it, and the birds ate the seed up. Verse 6 says, Other seed fell among rocks. It began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. There was no root there. There was no place to take root in the rocks. Verse 7 said, other seed fell among thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on fertile soil, and this seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. When the seed fell in fertile ground, it reproduced over a hundred times. When he had said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And his disciples asked him what this parable meant. Jesus went on to tell them, 
that the farmer scattering the seed is just passing out, handing out God's word, the gospel story, the good news of Jesus Christ. And the different types of soil represent different stages people are at in their lives and different conditions of their heart. He said, first of all, this seed that was thrown out on the footpath was thrown out just on hard ground. And there was no place for it to take root. It was not even in the field. It was on a path where people walked over and crushed the seed. Then the birds came and ate it up so the seed couldn't grow. The other seed represents hard hearts. That the seed is thrown there and it produces a little bit, but ultimately there's nowhere in that heart for God's Word to take root and actually produce fruit. He said this one, the third one, and I think this one is the one that we face in our country more than any other one. He said sometimes the seed gets sown in the ground that already has other things growing in there like thorns. And he said the thorns represent success and money and pleasure. And what happens is the desire for success and money and pleasure grows up in your life along with the seed of God's Word and the wrong pursuits choke the seed of God's Word and keep it from preparing, keep it from becoming a harvest. You know, every, every time we come together in this place, I'm getting up here throwing God's Word out in your life. What you ought to pray for every time you come in here is God... May my heart be fertile soil so that the seed can go in there and grow up and actually produce something. Because if you're not careful, you'll hear a word and say, oh, that was good, and go on. Or if you're not careful, you'll hear a word, but what will happen is you'll get out in your life and the cares of this world and the pursuit of money and pleasure will choke the seed of God's word out of your life and nothing will come of it. What you and I need to pray for is we have hearts like fertile soil where the seed can get in there And where the seed can grow up and produce fruit. What does this parable really tell us though? It tells us this first of all. That that seeds seeds will not grow in unprepared ground. Let me ask you this. In this parable did the seed determine the harvest? The seed was good. The same seed that would produce a hundredfold over here produced nothing over here. What determined the harvest was not the seed, it was the ground. And a seed will not grow in unprepared ground. Any gardeners in the place today? Anybody ever planted anything and watched it grow? Anybody? Anybody? Any farmers? Any gardeners? Both sets of my grandparents had gardens until they died. And I'm lucky to set out two tomato plants. We've lost touch in our society, by and large, with agriculture. We think vegetables come from the grocery store. But understand this. If you're going to plant a garden, you've got to prepare the ground. You just don't go out throwing seeds in your backyard. Guy told me a story of his garden. He said, I planted zucchini. He said, we determined the ground was too hard, so I hired somebody to come till the ground up. Then we determined the ground wasn't fertile enough, so I got a farmer to bring manure and put in it and till the ground up. And He said, then I had to build a fence to keep the rabbits out. He said, I've, I've, I've figured it out, and each of these zucchini cost me $341. <laughs> 
Well, tell you what, I thank God for our farmers, don't you? Don't you thank God for our farmers who, who do the work to actually produce something? They know you've got to prepare ground before you put seed in it. If you put seed on ground that hasn't been properly prepared, it's, an, it's a waste. But what deeper does this parable tell us? Faith will not grow in unprepared hearts. The ground has to be ready to receive the seed. Walking up to people on the street and just in their face, are you prepared to meet God? Say, well, pastor, that worked on that guy at LSU. It did. Because grandma had prepared his heart. All the, yeah, thank God for them. For years, grandma had been praying. For years, grandma had been talking. And he had the basis, and his heart was ready for the seed to go in. And we got to stand there, Mike did anyway, he got to stand there and reap a harvest. And it's fun to reap. It's not as fun sometimes to sow. Sometimes we've got to get involved in preparing the soil. You see, your job may not be the one out on the street praying with them. Your job may be praying for them in secret. Your job may be preparing their hearts ahead of time. Now, now understand me, I believe it's the responsibility of every Christian to share their faith. But understand also, there is a process by which people's hearts are prepared to come to Jesus. Here at Upward, we call that the blessed strategy. And we're going to be reminding of you of this quite often in the future. But it is a strategy that we learned from another church that was doing a fantastic job with it. The blessed strategy to reach our neighbors for Jesus Christ. Upward is growing. What's more important, the kingdom of God is growing. Churches that are our family all over this city are growing. Amen? We rejoice in that. Who's going to fill up those churches? I know God, but who are the people? Our neighbors. I talked to two pastors. I was in Sam's this weekend, pushing my cart, buying my big old jar of mayonnaise. And uh, I ran into two pastors at the same time. We talked and hugged, and you know what we figured out? There's no competition between us. If every person that needs Jesus in Henderson County comes to Jesus tomorrow, there are not enough seats in Henderson County churches to put them. We'd have to build churches. So I've told pastors, and they've told me, we have no business competing over people. We just need to get out and tell the people who don't know Jesus. And that's your neighbor. Now, don't ask the dumb question that the disciples ask. You ever heard any dumb questions in the Bible? There's some dumb questions in the Bible. Jesus tells this whole story, tells the whole story about the Good Samaritan who helps his neighbor. And the disciples of the religious people come up and say, Well, Lord, who is my neighbor? Let me give you a very simple definition that you knew when you were in kindergarten. Your neighbor is the person who's close to you. Look out your window, that's your neighbor. Look next to you at work, that's your neighbor. When you're out at the ballpark with your children, look at those parents you're sitting with, that's your neighbor. It's those people who are close to you that need Jesus. 
You can pray for people around the world, but you can personally impact those who are close to you. And here's how you do it. We're going to go through the blessed strategy really quick. We're not going to do it for four weeks. You're getting a whole series in one week. Can you just say, thank you, Jesus. I'm getting the whole thing this week. He could have drugged this thing out for five weeks, but we're just doing it in one. Wow. B-L-E-S-S. Everybody say that with me. B-L-E-S-S. The B stands for begin with prayer. Here's the idea. Talk to God about your neighbor before you talk to your neighbor about God. You ought to have a list if you don't have it. If you were here a a year and a half ago, you may have this list already. But if you're new to Upward, and many of you are, we made a list last February of the people who live near us. And we wrote down their names and we're still praying for those people. I live in a great neighborhood and I've got some great neighbors I'm just getting to know them, really. But I tell you, I talk to God about my neighbors. And I say, God, bless them. I say, God, bless their kids. I live in a neighborhood where there's a million kids. Every time I back my car out, I've got to watch out for kids. And I love it. My neighborhood, when I ride up the street, there are ramps everywhere on the street where they jump on skateboards. Like, yeah. Those kids go by my house, and I'm praying for them. See those parents? I'm praying for them. They're trying to raise kids in a difficult time. I'm talking to God about my neighbors before I talk to my neighbors about God. You know when you pray, things happen. See, we're fighting a battle, and I tell you this all the time. We're fighting a battle, really, that's not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. Many times we get busy fighting the battle down here, and that's the wrong fight because it's what's up here that determines what's down here. There's the spiritual behind the natural. And when you pray, you get in the spiritual battle. You get in the battle that's really going to make a difference. You know when you pray for people, they start being drawn to you and don't even know why? You know when you pray for people, when they start hurting, you know where they're coming? To you, because something's happened spiritually that you and I aren't even often aware of, but they'll be hurting, and something in their heart and in their mind will think, Go talk to them, go tell them. Begin with prayer. That's good advice for about anything you want to do. Start by praying, and you'll fight the battle before you get in it. The second one is what? What's the next letter? L, listen. Now, this is tough for some of y'all. I said it's tough for some of y'all because some of y'all like to talk. A lot of y'all like to talk. I was talking to a lady this week, a precious lady. She said, I'm going to come visit Upward when I get my voice back. I said, listen, we got enough loud people. We need more quiet people. Come on. Some of us like to talk, don't we? (laughs) Oh, you got me, Granny. I broke right there. Amen. She likes to talk, don't we all? A lot of us were taught that personal evangelism involved a whole lot of talking. And there is talking involved. But I want you to know in the preparation of somebody's heart, there's a lot of listening that needs to happen. 
First strategy is to begin with prayer. The second one is listen to them. Because I truly believe this. When you begin to pray for somebody that's close to you, they'll be drawn to you. And they'll sometimes, someplace, some way, they'll start talking to you about their pain. See, here's something you can write down take home. People need to be heard before they're able to listen. Here's what I want you to do. When they start talking about their pain, button your lip. Button your lip. Because I know you have the answer. I don't mean that smart. You do have the answer in Jesus. But if you're like me, how many are, I I don't want to ask how many are like me. You wouldn't want to admit that. But uh, how many of you, when somebody brings you a problem, you've automatically thought up three things they can do to make it better? Can I see your hands? Can we just admit it here? We're the fixers. Sit down with a problem. And I don't even need you to finish telling me the problem. In about five words, I figured out what you need to do to fix this. Pastor, I just want to talk to you about this. Three minutes in, I'm like, oh, you can stop talking now. I got three steps for you. Because I thought that's why they came to me. They didn't come to you for you to fix it. They came to you because they needed someone to hear their heart and their pain. Sometimes you could just sit there and listen and then pray with them at the end. And something big has happened. Because some of them, for the first time in their life, they felt heard. Stop talking and listen more. Now, I'm telling you, I'm preaching this right at me because that's been the hardest part of this for me to learn. Just to be quiet and listen. Because as you listen to them, their heart opens up to receive something from you. So many people out there that have never been heard. So what are we going to do? B, begin with prayer. L, listen. Now the third one is my favorite. The E stands for eat. Can anybody get behind that one right there? Somebody say, preacher, I hadn't been with you the whole time, but point three, pastor, I'm going to get all over that one. I can do that one. Eat. Why is eating so important? You see, when you eat with somebody, you invite them into your life. And you can get people to eat. I like to eat. I'm currently in a state of donut deprivation right now. I haven't had a donut in a month and a half. Oh, Jesus, help me. Somebody pray for me. I'm making it. But I like food. Here's what you do when you're on a diet and you're living right and eating clean. You watch videos about pizza. That's probably wrong, isn't it? That's not the way to do it, but it's probably wrong. Sometimes, a couple times late at night, I just put on a video of somebody making pizza. I like to eat. Big part of my ministry is sitting down eating with people. And I love that. Back in Jesus' day, the Jews considered eating to be a form of spiritual communion. Jesus' day was a lot different from our day, and you have to interpret the New Testament through the eyes of that. When you sat down to eat with someone, you were sharing with them. One of the biggest accusations they hurled at Jesus over and over again, they said, this man eats with sinners, because they wouldn't. They considered it a shame to go into a sinner's house 
But Jesus went to their house and had dinner with them. I love Jesus. He ticked all the church people off. (laughs) He really did. He ticked church people off like crazy. Sinners loved him. Church people got frustrated with him. He went in the home of Matthew, a tax collector, and had dinner with him. And they said, this man can't be the Messiah. He would never stoop to that. But I thank God, and you should too, that Jesus ate with sinners. Because he sat down with me one day back in 1986. Not in person, but in spirit. He sat down and he came to where I was and spoke to my heart and loved me and changed my life. Have a meal with your neighbor. Invite him over to your house. Say, I can't cook. Door dash. (laughs) Go out and get something to eat. I can't afford too much. Taco Bell. Boy, Taco Bell sounds so good right now. I should not have said that. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm getting hungry. When you have a meal with somebody, something opens. How many grill masters we have in the church today? How many grill masters are in this church? Can I see your hands right now? You are a master of the grill. Put your hand up high. Put them up high, right? That is a charcoal grill too, right? It's a gas grill. Take your hands down. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. Put, take your hands down. And if you cook a steak well done, I'm ready to fight. You know something? A little grill smoke can be an evangelistic tool. Get out in your neighborhood. Buy a little extra. And when somebody walks by and says, that smells good, say, come on. Me and my neighbor have been working on this for years. We both bought smokers at the same time. The same kind. And he, he and I, a neighbor across the street, I love him. And uh, we said, we're going to set our smokers out on the front, and we're going to have a barbecue competition. <laughs> and we're just going to give out food to anybody that walks by. What does that do when you eat with somebody? You open your life to them. Invite them for a meal. Take a meal to them when they're sick. Eat with them. Jesus did. First uh, S, we got to move on. I'm running out of time. First S is serve. What does that mean? Do something for them. I was raised in the day when a neighbor was a neighbor. If your neighbor was hurting, you helped them. Church, can you get behind that? If a neighbor's hurting, you helped them. Say, well, preacher, I don't like my neighbors. Well, you got to work on that. Maybe that should be before the B and bless strategy is repent. Oh, I just got ugly, didn't I? Preacher, you don't know my neighbors. I know Jesus loves them. I happen to believe that Jesus put us in our neighborhood for a reason. What do you do? Do something for them. Well, my neighbor lets his leaves blow down into my yard. Go rake his yard. Bible said, bless those who curse you. My neighbor won't mow his yard. Mow it. My neighbor's dog's barking. That's me. That's my dog. So be nice to him. 
had a friend the other day told me we were supposed to have lunch. My friend said, I got to cancel lunch. I'm blessing the neighborhood today. He already had the blessed strategy. And this friend decided to take his tractor and go scrape driveways, scrape the snow off of driveways all over his neighborhood. That's how it's done. That could have been yesterday. Anybody in this place ever seen snow later than we saw it yesterday? Anybody? Can you believe it? In North Carolina, a blizzard in April. He was out scraping driveways. Why? When you serve somebody, you prove to them your faith. I don't have time to tell it. I've told it many times already. But we in this church saw a man go from a complete atheist. First time I met him, couldn't even pray with him hardly. To right before he died, he held my hand and said, Andy, I know Jesus because of that church and I'm going home to meet him today. Complete atheist to going home to meet Jesus. And you know what broke all that? His wife needed a chair and we took him one. And heart went wide open to Jesus because of serve. Begin with prayer. Listen. Eat. Serve. The last S story. You tell him your story, which leads to his story. Tell him what your life was like before Jesus, what it was like to meet Jesus, and what happened in your life after you met Jesus. And will you notice telling the story comes after the ground is prepared? Because when you've prayed, when you've listened, when you've eaten with them, when you've served them, you've now earned the right to speak into their lives. And they're much more apt to listen to you. Because you've invested in them. All right? Now, you've got to do all these by next Sunday. <laughs> so pray today, listen tomorrow. You've got to eat on Tuesday and serve on Wednesday. And then we've got service on Thursday. We expect them to be Christians by then. No pressure or anything, but you've only got four days. Now, this may be a year-long process for you. This may be a two-year process for you. But I want you to begin today by writing down those names and starting to pray. Then you're going to get the opportunity to listen, then to eat, then to serve, then to share your story. Amen? And it'll work. It'll work. Amen? I want to pray right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we love you. We thank you that all this is possible because you gave your life for us to be able to come to you and get free from our sin. And I thank you, Jesus, for contagious Christians in this place today and watching online. I thank you, Lord, that you're raising up an army. I'm so thankful, Lord, at Upward, you're not raising up spectators to come into this church and listen to me preach and participate in the worship. But Lord, you're raising up an army of servants to go out of this place and transform our community for you, Jesus. And I thank you for every one of them. I pray, God, that you would just grip our hearts with the burden and responsibility we have to those who are close to us in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in the places we play and enjoy life. And I pray today, God, that we'll begin to pray and we'll begin to prepare that heart as your Holy Spirit empowers that process. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, we're excited about next week. Easter Sunday. Here's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about what to do when you're in the waiting period. The resurrection is 
the most powerful thing that's ever happened on planet Earth when Jesus Christ came back from the dead. But we're going to talk about those three days in between because a lot of us are there right now. Amen? We know something good's coming, but we're still waiting to see it. Anybody? We're right there. So we're going to talk about when we know something good's coming, but what to do while we're waiting for that to actually manifest in our lives. We're going to have a testimony or more from people who are in that waiting season and how to look forward to what's happening, what's going to happen, and be faithful in those three days of waiting. So that's going to be powerful for us next week. The series after that, I'm afraid to tell you the title of it. It's called Crazy Jesus. Now, before you get offended, that's why I was afraid to tell you. Before you get offended, we don't think Jesus is crazy or was ever crazy, okay? But he did some crazy stuff. We're going to talk about the five craziest things that Jesus ever did. He spit in the mud and put it in a blind man's eye. He spit on his finger and put his fingers in a man's ears. He cursed a fig tree and the tree died. He sent demons in and killed a whole herd of pigs. And on Mother's Day, Jesus did something crazy. He talked back to his mama. We're going to learn the significance of those crazy things that Jesus did. The things that crazy appear crazy to us five weeks after Easter. It's going to be a fun time together. It's going to be a time God does something good and teaches us some new things about Jesus. All right. Let me bless you right now. Would you just lift your hands for blessing right now? I just bless you now with the covering, the covering of the Father. Some of you felt alone. You felt like there was no one actually looking out for you. You felt like you were the covering for so many other people, but you didn't feel covered yourself. The Bible said that he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And as you run to Him, He covers you today from every attack of the enemy, from everything in your past trying to get at you, from every struggle, you're covered today by the arms of a Heavenly Father who's looking out for you. That's your blessing today. With that covering, go, I commission you, go into your world and take the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to everyone you meet. Amen. You're sent. Love y'all so much. See you next week, Resurrection Sunday. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Fellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.